continue our study through Matthew, Matthew chapter 21. If you recall, last few weeks, sorry, thank you. Uh, if anybody didn't have, doesn't have a Bible, just want to get a Bible in your hand so you can follow along, just raise your hand real quick. We'll get you a, a Bible. Everybody good? Anyone else need a Bible? Everybody else good? Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, so if you remember, we're uh, in the last week of the Lord's life, and it's very eventful. We have a lot of things, and we see this big event happen exactly that first day on Sunday when he enters into Jerusalem, referred to as Palm Sunday. The people, they greet him, they receive him with open arms, they scream out, Hosanna, Hosanna, or save us now, or also translated, save us please, and they anticipated him saving them from the Romans, but really he came to save them from their sin, to deliver them. And right after that, shortly after that, Jesus, one of the first things he does when he enters into Jerusalem is he cleanses the temple, right? Because the temple was being misused. And we discussed a couple weeks ago about how we can misuse our temple and how we're called to cleanse our temple. And the Lord, he is cleansing the temple for a specific purpose, in this case, so that the temple be, could become the house of prayer. And we see that sin, it separates us from God, and the Lord wants to cleanse that sin so that we can be in right relationship with God, so that we can seek Him. So after that, He goes and He curses the fig tree. And why did He curse the fig tree? It wasn't just because the fig tree didn't have fruit. It was because the fig tree appeared to have fruit and didn't, right? It was all leaves and no fruit. It was a picture of the hypocrisy of Israel. They appeared spiritual, but really they weren't bearing fruit. And why weren't they bearing fruit? Well, Jesus says because they didn't have faith. They weren't seeking the Lord in faith, so they didn't bear fruit. Now, Jesus, he's going to have another encounter with the religious leaders. If you remember when uh, the last encounter he had with them, he cleansed the temple. So there's an issue that's going to arise. And Jesus, ultimately, in cleansing the temple, he put to put into question the authority of the religious leaders because of how they were operating. They weren't honoring God. So now we're going to see in this text, the Pharisees, religious leaders, chief priests, elders are going to come to Jesus and they're going to put his authority into question. But Jesus, he's not going to be fooled. He's going to get to the heart of the issue. Their problem, their issue isn't just with the authority of Jesus. They have a problem with authority Period. Which brings me to the title of this teaching, Problems with Authority. Problems with authority? Well, there's a question mark right there for a specific reason. The reason is, I don't know the answer. Do you have a problem with authority? Do you have that rebellious spirit? Well, the Bible tells us that we all have this sinful nature, that we all have a predisposed tendency to rebel against God. So God, he puts authority in our lives to teach us submission. See, submission to authority is crucial to the Christian faith. In this text, we're going to see as the Pharisees put the Lord's authority into question, Jesus is going to ultimately lead them to the truth. The truth is he is the ultimate authority. 
Jesus does this with love. He does this with patience. He does this with kindness because his heart is that they would know the truth, that they would be set free by it, that they would recognize him as their king, as their savior, as their Lord, that they might repent and be saved. If you would with me, Matthew chapter 21, we'll read the text and we'll pray. Matthew 21, verses 23 to 32. Now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? from heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not, but afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first, Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask once again that you would enlighten the eyes of our understanding, that you would teach us by your spirit, that we would be impacted and changed by your word, that you would really uh, uh, get to our hearts. God, we want to grow. We want to be better. So please make us better. In your name, amen. All right. Matthew chapter 21, picking it back up in verse 23. We're going to take it slow this time, dive in uh, as deep as we have time to do. It says, now when he came into the temple, as I had mentioned before, the last time he was in the temple, he did what? He cleansed it, right? And those religious leaders were in support of what was happening in the temple. These are the chief chief priests. These are the elders. They were okay with the temple being used as a business. So when Jesus came in there, he directly disrespected them, in other words, because they needed to be, but he challenged their authority. So now Jesus, he's going back into the temple to cleanse it. See, Jesus, he's focused on ministry. But he knows an issue is going to arise. He's not looking for a fight, but he sure isn't going to back down from one. And that's exactly what happens, if you will. Looking back at verse 23, it says, The chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching. As he was teaching in the temple, the chief priests, the leaders, they confront him. Imagine if someone came in here right now and confronted me as I was teaching. Be like, Oh my, I wouldn't know what to do. I, what, what do I even say? What do I do? But we all be like, what, what is going on here? But this is Jesus. And I mean, this is Jesus we're talking about. And these religious leaders, they confront Jesus as he's communicating the word of God. This, this reveals something about their hearts. What? They would rather 
listen to themselves speak than listen to the word of God. See, they're more concerned about containing, by, uh, more concerned about keeping their positions of authority than they are about seeking relationship with God. God is sitting right in front of them, wanting relationship, and we see that in this text. But they don't want it. They would rather prove themselves right. They would rather cut him off. They would rather not hear the word of God. They would rather hear themselves. This is going to cost them dearly. Again, Jesus just challenged their authority by cleansing the temple. And now that's ultimately what they are going to do to Jesus. They're going to challenge his authority. That's what it says here. Still in verse 23. Next sentence. So as as he was teaching, they said, By what authority are you doing these things? They are questioning the authority of Jesus Christ. We know Jesus Christ is God. So ultimately, they're questioning the authority of God. Point number one, God desires our submission more than our questions. God desires our submission more than our questions. Now, this point is in context to the text. It's not that we should never ask God questions. He invites us in to reason with him in Isaiah. But when we question authority, that's not something that God supports. That's not something that honors God. And I'm not just talking about the authority of God, questioning the authority of God, because that's what they're doing. I'm also talking about questioning the authority of man see the bible is very clear in communicating our response to authority we see some scripture here in romans chapter 13 verses 1 and 2 i'll read it for you let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from god and the authorities that exist are appointed by god Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now, first, we got to understand context. When this epistle was written to the Romans, who was their authority other than God? Nero. Okay, Nero was literally burning Christians at the stake. Paul knows this and he writes to them, submit to it. Submit even to persecution. Whatever he's asking you to do, whatever those Roman soldiers are asking you to do, you're called to submit to that. When we look at that like, what? Submit to to corrupt leadership? Yeah, all authority is placed by God. The Lord desires that we would be submissive, even if it's authority that we don't agree with. Do you find yourself always questioning authority? Do you find yourself ever doing this? When you're asked to do something, do you always ask why? Why are you asking me to do? I'll do it if I understand. Okay, if I understand, I'll do it. But the Lord, he calls us to do things whether we understand or not. Do you submit to authority when you don't understand? And not only do you not understand, you don't agree. What happens when you don't agree with the direction that's been given to you? Are you not going to do it? Because ultimately, it doesn't matter if we understand or if we don't agree. The Lord calls us to be submissive to authority. The Lord, he does this for our own benefit. If we can be submissive to man, we have a better chance 
uh, to be submissive to God. Don't kid yourself and think if I'm I can be uh, disrespectful or unsubmissive to man, but I'll still be submissive to God. That's a lie. That's not true. We see the Bible. God puts authority in people's lives, whether it's corrupt or righteous to teach people submission, amongst other things. See, with Nero, there was persecution going on. And yes, Paul tells them, inspired by the spirit to, to, hey, you submit to this authority. But we know that through persecution, God, he multiplies the church. So see, God, even with corrupt authority, he's sovereign. He has a plan. We see throughout the Bible, God put corrupt leaders into place to teach his people specific lessons. You got Nebuchadnezzar, you you have all these different, you got Pilate, you got all these different leaders that didn't even uh, really follow God and God used those leaders to teach his people a lesson. So it's submission, whether it's corrupt authority or it's or it's righteous authority, God calls us to submit again. He puts authority in our lives. In the in the place of man, he puts men in our lives, women in our lives as authority figures to teach us how to submit to God. There's a great passage here in first Kings chapter 19. You remember the famous prophet Elijah. He did so many miracles, so many amazing things. But then there came a time where. Where his ministry was going to end, he was going to be taken up to heaven. So God had him appoint a a new prophet in in the person of Elisha. Now look what happens here in 1 Kings chapter 19. So Elisha, verse 21, turned back from him, skip to the last, the last sentence. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. See, before Elisha could become a great prophet, he had to know how to become a great servant. Why? Because if Elisha can't learn how to submit to Elijah, then he certainly isn't going to learn how to submit to God. So God, he puts authority in our lives to teach us submission. That submission, again, is whether we agree or disagree, whether we understand or we don't understand the call to submission. It can be difficult, but it's the truth of the Scripture. And God does it, again, for our own benefit. So when we see in our society, people always say, Trump is not my president. It doesn't care. It doesn't matter what I think about Trump or what you think about Trump. He is our president. He is the authority that's there. It doesn't matter what we think. When you look at some of the the outrage and different things, uh, leaders getting shot and attacked and all, it's like, wait a minute, your your problem isn't just with the specific authority that's been put in place. Your problem, the Bible says, is with the authority of God. You have a problem with the authority of God. I've had many leaders in my life that I didn't always see eye to eye with. That I was like, God, why are you torturing me by putting me under this person? But each and every time there was a lesson to be learned, God had something that he wanted to teach me. When I was in Calvary House, we had this motto, this phrase, uh, no matter what was asked of you, you just said yes or no problem. That was your response. Yes or no problem. So literally, if they asked you to dig a hole, you spend an hour digging it to plant a branch, plant a tree. I don't know why you'd plant a branch, plant a tree. (laughs) And then they said, oh, I don't like that spot. Dig a hole over here. Fill that one back in. Okay, dig this hole. Uh, I don't like that spot. Dig a hole over there. It's not that they didn't like the spot. What are they doing? 
seems a little harsh, but they're teaching us submission. Whether it's cleaning a toilet or digging holes and changing the position of the holes, it didn't matter. The point was, God, he asks us to do things that we don't always understand, that we might not always agree with, but if we can learn to submit to these things, the little things, we have a better chance to submit to the bigger things. See, God does use all authority in our life to teach us lessons if we'll allow him see the pharisees the religious leaders the chief priests the elders they struggled with authority ultimately they thought they were the authority so when jesus questions their authority they're offended so they in return put the lord's authority into question and that's exactly what they say here so they confront him as he was teaching by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority well who gave him the authority we know that god the father ultimately gave god the son the authority in fact he says it if you remember uh during that that teaching when we talked about the the mount of transfiguration in matthew chapter 17 as we see the disciples up on the mountain we see god come in a cloud much like he did in exodus and he says to the disciples this is my son in whom i'm well pleased listen to him exclamation point listen to him he is the authority okay he's the authority i've placed in your life so we see god the father he communicated yes god the son does have ultimate authority and we see god the son jesus christ he recognizes the authority that god's given to him he says it many times one of the times he says it here in matthew chapter 28 i'll read it for you and jesus came and spoke to them saying all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to Jesus Christ. But the scribes and Pharisees, they don't recognize that authority. Jesus, though, he's not just going to say, I have God the Father gave me all authority. I have all authority. No, no. He's going to be very creative in his response because ultimately he's trying to lead them to truth. If you would with me, Matthew chapter 21, verse 24. But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which of you tell me, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. If you want me to answer your question, you got to answer my question. If you answer my question, then I will answer your question. Jesus, got to love him. He does this very creatively, and we'll get into it in a moment. But one thing I want to point out is Jesus, he doesn't get defensive. He doesn't say, hey, I am the son of God, and I'll strike you down where you stand. He doesn't try to prove his authority. He doesn't try to prove his point. He tries to lead them to truth. See, when people question us, whether it's our motives or our authority or just question us in general, our intentions, whatever, it's easy for us to get offended, right? And what do we do? We get defensive. And we say, no, 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 this is why I'm doing what I'm doing, or, or this is the position I've been put in, so I'm allowed to say these things or do these things, or whatever the case may be. We have this tendency when people question us to get defensive, but not Jesus. Why? He doesn't have to prove himself. He knows who he is. He's confident in his calling. He knows he's the son of God. He doesn't have to prove it to anyone, but he will try to lead them to that truth. Look to the next, uh, look at the next verse. Verse 25, Matthew chapter 21, verse 25. Here's his question. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven 
or from men. So he asks these religious leaders this question because he's trying to lead them to this truth. If they don't recognize the authority that God gave John the Baptist, then they're not going to recognize the authority that God gave Jesus Christ the Son. So basically, he's trying to lead them, and he says, if you can answer this question right, then you'll get the question that you asked right. Again, he's trying to slowly lead them to the truth. He doesn't just give them the truth on the platter. He doesn't just force feed it to them. No, no, he leads them to it. He guides them to it. Jesus, he doesn't just want to tell them that he's the ultimate authority. He wants them to discover it. Point number two, truth is meant to be discovered. Truth is meant to be discovered. It doesn't matter if, if, if Jesus just tells them who he could have said, I am the son of God. I am the Messiah. Right. But he wants them to discover that truth for themselves, because when we discover truth for ourselves, it's so much more powerful. Yes, we're called to communicate the truth and me, especially I have a, a calling to communicate truth. But sometimes it's so much more powerful to lead people to truth. I'll often have students or or different people ask me for my teaching notes. They'll ask me for my teaching notes. But you know what? I rarely ever give them out. And it's not because I want to hide them. It's not because I don't want you to know what I have on here. Yeah, I want you to see. I want you to know this stuff. I'm, I'm communicating these things. But the reason why I don't give them out very often is because I know If they seek the truth on their own, if they discover these truths for themselves, they're never going to forget it. Think about it. How many times do you sit in a sermon and and how much do you really remember? Okay, How much do you really remember from a message? You might remember a good chunk, right? If you're paying attention, if you're focused. But I guarantee you, I remember more of the message than you do because I'm studying it. I'm putting the time there. And when I'm putting the time and seeking the Lord, I'm discovering these truths. And I'll forget little things, but the main things, the big things that got you. Wow, this is this is amazing. So in that example, I I won't always give out my notes because I want them to discover discover it for themselves. Because God wants to speak to us personally. He wants to speak to us intimately. And yes, he can do it through a message. But ultimately, we have to seek it if we want to find it. He actually calls us to this, if you will, with me. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 15 Second Timothy chapter two, verse 15 says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other translations, it says, study to show yourself approved. Be diligent in your pursuit of God, in your pursuit of Him, through His Word that you might show yourself approved. Why? When we're diligently seeking God in His Word, we'll discover the truth. And when we, when we discover the truth, that's a very, very powerful thing. See, Jesus, he doesn't just want to force feed them the truth. He wants these religious leaders to discover the truth. He wants them to have a moment. So he doesn't just answer their, their question. He asks them questions and he's trying to lead them to that place that they discover this truth of his authority on their own. So it says, Matthew chapter 21, <clears throat> Verse 25, Jesus asks them the question, the baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, if 
we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude for all count John as a prophet. So Jesus, he asked them a pretty difficult question. There's no getting around this one. Okay, there's no getting around this one uh, unless they choose not to answer it. And that's exactly what they're going to do. But Jesus, he's trying to set them up for success. So he gives them a question to lead them to the answer of the question that they originally asks. If they say, if the religious leaders say the baptism of John was from men, then they're liars. If they say the baptism of John was from God, then they're hypocrites. Why? Because they know the truth and they didn't follow it. So there's no getting around. He's trying to put them in that corner, but he's doing it for their own benefit. It's with love. It's with grace. He wants them to know the truth. And it says in verse 25 that they reasoned among themselves. They know they're in a corner. So instead of thinking spiritually, they choose to think logically. How can we get out of this one? They're not concerned with knowing the truth. They're concerned with getting out of this situation so that they can maintain their positions of authority. See, their reasoning is ultimately going to lead them away from the truth. And that's not what the Lord wants for them. Point number three, his truth is greater than our reasoning. His truth is greater than our reasoning. He's trying to bring them to truth, but they're, 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 they're not taking it. They're not biting the bait. They want to continue to reason to uh, maintain, again, that position of authority. Their faulty reasoning literally is going to cost them their souls. But this doesn't just apply to the religious leader. This could apply to any of us. The Lord is, is very clear about this leaning on your own reasoning thing, right? Leaning on your own understanding. What does he say? It's Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. It says don't lean on your understanding. Lean on the Lord. Lean on His truth. Now that doesn't mean that there's not a place for reasoning under and understanding. Lord calls us to love Him with all our mind. So there is definitely thinking involved as a believer. Again, in Isaiah, he invites us to reason with them, to think through these things, to ask him some questions. But when we get to a situation where our reasoning and understanding is conflicting with the word of God, guess what's wrong? (laughs) It's not the word of God. It's our reasoning. So something needs to change. See, they have faulty reasoning and it's leading them away from the truth. Sometimes. People will do just that. They'll use their own reasoning to accept something other than the truth. I'll give you an example. You see this with with many atheists and even some agnostics. Technically, I guess they would be atheists. It's hard to really fathom a true atheist. That's for another time. But when, when you look at an atheist, often what they'll do, one of the main arguments they'll use, I can't conceive, I can't understand how there can be all this suffering in the world with a loving and perfect God. They can't understand it. The Bible addresses these issues. We have a loving and perfect God that didn't come to 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 to, to get away from suffering. No, no, no. He came to solve the problem of suffering. Jesus addresses this so many times. That was his mission. But the atheist, because they can't understand how there can be a loving and perfect God and how can, he can allow suffering, therefore there must not be God. Just because you can't understand it means that he's not there. 
Just because you can't wrap your mind around it means that he doesn't exist. That's reasoning leading someone away from the truth. See, it's not just for the atheist. It's for the believer as well. It's for the Christian. See, we can sometimes lean on our own understanding, our own reasoning, instead of leaning on God's word, leaning on his direction. We can make decisions solely based on what makes sense. But the direction God gives us, it doesn't always make sense. So we can choose, though I know God told me to do this, I can do it despite my lack of understanding. Or I can say, no God, when you explain it to me and I agree with it, then I'll go. We see an awesome positive example of this in Acts chapter 8. An evangelist in the early church known by the name of Philip. He receives direction from the Lord, a very challenging direction. If you look at Acts chapter 8, verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert, okay? That's important. Luke put that there. This is desert. What's he saying? There's nobody there, okay? He's calling the evangelist to go to a place where nobody lives. Okay, this is desert. This doesn't make sense. Why would I go to a place? I'm an evangelist. That's what God called me to be. Why would I go to a place where there are no people? Doesn't make sense. But look what he does. Next verse. So he arose and went. What? Gonna go to the desert? Fill up the evangelist to preach to who? Well, we see later in that text, God had a specific person who he wanted him to preach to. He was an Ethiopian eunuch. Someone that was a a part of of the royal um, circle there in Ethiopia. Very close to the queen of Ethiopia. So God orchestrated this divine encounter. Philip being in the right place at the right time because he was obedient. He had had this conversation with the Ethiopian eunuch. He gets saved. He gets baptized. And what the story doesn't tell us, but what I believe, as if there was many people in Ethiopia that got saved after this. See, the Lord used that specific leader for that country to get saved, but it wouldn't have happened had Philip not been obedient. See, God will call us to do things that don't always make sense. But if we choose to lead on His truth and not always our reasoning, we may experience things that are absolutely amazing, just like Philip did. Imagine how many things in your life you've missed out on because you leaned on what made sense to you and not what you know what God directed you to do. See, sometimes it can be easy for us to say, no to God, I don't get it. I've done it before. I'm guilty of it. There will be times God might wake me up in the middle of the night and I know I'm supposed to pray. Okay, or I have a dream and I know I'm supposed to pray for someone specifically. I have weird stuff happen to me. Don't judge me. Um, but I'll, I'll know like, wait, that was from the Lord. And it's like, Lord, I don't want to pray. I want to go back to sleep. It's the middle of the night. Why am I awake? Man, what opportunity am I missing out on? The Lord might knock on our heart as we're going grocery shopping or as we're at the gas station. Hey, hey, hey. tell him. You better tell him. Tell him what? You know what? Tell him the gospel. Share it with him. But, but I don't, I'm not really feeling it. Like, I don't know. What if they ask me a hard question? I'll just tell him the gospel. It's like, ah, no. What would have happened if you did it? If you listened, if you, if you spoke to that, wait, this guy, he's like covered with tattoos. He looks really mean. And there's no way that guy's going to accept the gospel. It's like, are you serious? For all you know, that guy could get saved and his whole household. We don't know. 
But the Lord, he directs us to do things that don't always line up with our understanding, with our own logic. See, the Lord, he's trying to lead the Pharisees to truth, but they're stuck on their own logic. They're stuck on their own reasoning and they're going to miss out. They're going to miss out on the truth of who Jesus is. They're going to miss out on the truth of the gospel. They're literally this because they won't accept it. They're going to lose their souls. Many of them, those who don't repent later, some of them will. Matthew chapter 21, verse 27. So, so they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. This is literally the only way they could have got out of this situation. We're just saying they don't know. It's like if you answer the question either way, you'd be closer to truth. But they don't answer the question because they're not concerned with truth. They're concerned with maintaining their positions of authority. So Jesus, he says, and he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus is not playing their game. I'm not going to play this game with you. Okay, if you don't want to know the truth, that is what it is. But I want you to know the truth. Again, Jesus, he's not just going to force feed him the truth. He's not just going to put the truth on a platter. He's going to make him think about it. He's going to make him seek it. So in seeking it, they'll discover it. The truth of who he is, the truth of the gospel, the truth of their need for a savior that they might get saved. But Jesus, he doesn't just do this with them. He does it with us. He doesn't force feed us the truth. If we want to know the truth... We got to seek the truth. And he is the truth. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As we seek Jesus, we find truth. But if we don't seek Jesus, how can we expect to know the truth? Jesus, though, because he's so loving, because he's so gracious, because he's so compassionate, he's not going to give up on him. This could have been like a walk away moment for Jesus. All right, you don't want to know it. I'm going to walk away. No, no, he takes the time. He's going to give them three parables in a row to try to get this truth across to them. He knows they're hard hearted. He knows they're hard headed and he doesn't give up on them. And he communicates parables. Now, if you remember back in Matthew 13, so long ago, uh, we discussed thoroughly parables, the seven parables there. But to uh, uh, refresh your memory, or if you weren't there, the, the word parable in the Greek is this word parabolo. Okay? It's parabolo, and what it literally means is to cast alongside. Let me give you a visual. Uh, anyone ever fish in here? No, okay. <laughs> Some people. Well, imagine if you had fished in your life. When, when you go fishing, and you fish with a lure, let's say, okay, you don't just try to like hit that fish in the mouth with the lure and expect the thing to bite it, right? It ain't going to happen. The thing's going to swim away. But if you cast it alongside of the fish and you start reeling it in, what happens? That fish gets interested and the fish starts coming towards the bait. And ultimately the fish bites the bait. And now you caught yourself a fish. Same kind of idea about the parabolo thing. Parable, Jesus, he doesn't just force feed us the truth. He communicates in such a way that we got to seek it. Wait, what does this really mean? Lord, what, what are you trying to communicate to me? I, I want to know what this is. And as we seek it, we find it. See, Jesus, he's not interested in just feeding these Pharisees. He's interested in leading them to a place where they bite the bait. Because when they bite the bait, he gets them in the boat. Then they're saved. He wants to lead them to truth. He's a fisher of men. And he uses parables as a way to catch man's attention to hopefully save their souls. Matthew chapter 21 Verse 28. So this is the first parable. We'll just go through one today. But what do you think? A man had two sons 
And he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. So we see this parable of two sons. We can't say for sure if like one saved and the other isn't saved. We don't know what happens after this story. Okay, but we do know what the Lord's trying to communicate to us is the difference between a repentant sinner and, and a Pharisee who's unrepentant. That's the basic main thing he's communicating. But we're also going to discuss and see this applies to the Christian as well, both sides of it. So he goes to this one. The one says he's not going to do what the father asked, but then he ultimately did. See, the father He had an expectation for both these sons that they work in his vineyard. The father, he has an expectation for his children as well, that we work in his vineyard, that we're a part of the harvesting thing. That's the great mission, right? Go therefore, preach the gospel, make disciples. That's not just my job or the leader's job in this church. That's all his children's job. The Lord God, our father, he has an expectation that his children work in his vineyard, that they're a part of that harvesting. It's not just one person or another person. It's all of us. All of our children are expected to be a part of that work. Now, we also see that he came to each son individually. He came to the first son. Then he came to the second son. He didn't just come to them both at the same time. He came to them individually. We could pull from that. See, the Lord calls us individually. Our response to him is an individual response. We choose whether we want to serve the Lord or Whether we don't really feel like serving the Lord. We'll see the next one. He says he's going to do it, but then he doesn't end up doing it. He doesn't follow through. Point is, it's the individual calling. It doesn't matter what Joe Schmo's doing. It doesn't matter what what, what the people around you are doing. It doesn't matter what the people in this church are doing. Our response in service is an individual response to God. It's based on conviction. It's based on relationship. And we choose to, to work in his vineyard or be obedient to the things that he's calling us to do or not. This first son, he said no, but then he did it. And how many times have you said no to the Lord and then did it? It happens to me sometimes like, man, I don't think the prayer thing earlier, like I don't want to do this, but the way to conviction, it's like, no, no, I got to do this. I know there's something that's going to come from this. The Lord's doing something. I know I can't, I can't get away from the conviction. I'm just going to do it. Get it over with. And you do it. And then what? Some blessing, something good happens. Conversation, interaction, whatever it may be, answered prayer. The Lord, he shows up in so many different ways. So if you would with me, it says the last part of verse 29, I will not, but afterward he regretted it and went. This is really a picture of a repentant sinner. Okay. They start off with disobedience. No, I won't do it. But ultimately they, they are obedient. They, they truly repent and accept the work that their father has given them. See, the first son, he spoke wrong, but he ultimately did right. And he's going to be commended for it. Look at the next verse, Matthew chapter 21, verse 30. Then he came to the second and said, likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir, but he did not go. So we see the second guy, the second son, he's all words, but no actions. Okay. I choose to believe that the second son had good intentions. I choose to believe that, that when he said he was going to do it, he was actually planning on doing it, but something came up and he decided that something was more important than what his father had asked him to do. See, we can have good intentions, but if it's not followed up by action, then it's in vain. 
Point number four, good intentions don't compensate for a lack of action. Good intentions don't compensate for a lack of action. We can have all the good intentions in the world, but if it's not followed up by action, then it's really pointless. It's meaningless. In fact, he's saying here that it's a negative. I would rather you just not say you were going to do it than say you were going to do it and not do it. See, we see this in the church as well sometimes. Someone might say, man, I really want to start establishing this spiritual discipline. I really want to start getting up early and praying more or getting in my word more. Or I really want to start getting involved more. I want to start serving more. And God, I'm going to start doing that. And then what happens? Time goes on. There's no follow through. That's the second son. This isn't just a picture of the religious leaders or the Pharisees. This is a picture of any of us, all of us that have said these things. I'm going to do this, Lord. And then I don't. I don't follow through see even if we have good intentions if those good intentions aren't followed up by followed through then it profits us nothing there's this uh, awesome quote i love from andy stanley he says this direction not intention determines our destination Okay, direction, not intention, determines our destination. Meaning, I can have all the right intentions, all the good intentions in the world. If I'm not following a certain direction, I'm not going to get into my intended, intended destination. This applies practically and spiritually. If you want to be the next top model, you can't go to Dunkin' Donuts and eat donuts every day. It just doesn't work, right? If I want to get physically fit, I got to do something about it, right? I got to eat right. I got to put the work and the effort. I can intend on being like the, 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 the most athletic person in the world. But if I'm not taking the steps, walking in obedience, following the direction, I'm never going to get to my destination. This isn't just practical. It's spiritual. See, we can have all the intentions of the world in, in growing spiritually and establishing those disciplines and getting more involved. But if there's not follow through, if we're not following that, that line, that direction, we're never going to get there. We're not going to grow spiritually if we're not being spiritual. It's as simple as that. We can want to be spiritual. We can want to grow spiritually. But if we're not making the decisions to, to establish spiritual disciplines and do spiritual things, we're not going to grow. See, the second son, he had good intentions, but his intentions, they weren't followed up by actions. He was all talk and no action, just like the Pharisees. Jesus will say later in Matthew 23, do what they say, but not what they do. Okay, They say the right things, but they're not doing the right things. Second son, Matthew chapter 21, verse 31. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. They got it. This was an easy one. Jesus wasn't trying to like blow one over their heads. It's like, you get this, right? Like, yeah, yeah, we, we get the, the, the first one was the one that was obedient, even though he said no. And ultimately he did what the father was calling him to do. See, <clears throat> he says, The tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. So they understand the truth that he's trying to get across. But he's saying, hey, 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 you get this truth. You are the second son. That's what, he, that's what he's telling them. You are the second son. The first son is the tax collectors 
It's the harlots. In other words, it's the people that know they're sinners. It's the people that recognize they're sinners and their need for a Savior, and that leads them to repent and accept that Savior. They're the second son because they say one thing, God's their Father, God's their Lord, but, but they're not following through. It's not backed up by action. They don't recognize that they're sinners in need of a Savior. They're righteous. right? These are the righteous guys. These are the good guys. These are the guys that got it all together. These are the guys that everybody looks up to. But inside, Jesus says they're whitewashed tombs. Meaning they're dead on the inside because they don't have a relationship with the Lord. They're unrepentant. And because they're unrepentant, they're going to lose their souls. That's not what the Lord wants. He wants them to be saved. That's why he's communicating this to them. Matthew chapter 21, verse 32. He brings it back to John. For John, the Baptist he's referring to, came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, you saw the work of God through John the Baptist. You saw him preaching this message of repentance. The kingdom of God is near. You saw him baptizing people left and right. You saw sinner after sinner come to John and receive that message. You saw the Lord working and you didn't believe. You didn't accept it. See, John was a messenger of God, but what was his specific role? What was his specific calling? To prepare the way of the Lord, right? To prepare the coming of Jesus Christ. That's ultimately what his calling was. That was the message that he was giving. But the religious leaders, they reject the message. And by rejecting John and his message, they were ultimately rejecting God. See, if we don't recognize the authority of God's messengers, then we won't recognize the authority of God. Fifth and final point. Rejecting God's messenger is rejecting God. That's what Jesus is telling him. You rejected John, and by rejecting John, you rejected God. You rejected the one that you claim to serve. See, because the religious leaders rejected the authority of John, they rejected the authority of Jesus, and therefore ultimately rejected the authority of God the Father. See, they didn't like John's message of repentance. They didn't want people correcting them. They didn't want to change. Repent for the kingdom of God. Nah, we don't need to repent. We're good. We're righteous. We do all these things. We tie the cumin. We tie all our seasonings. We do all this stuff. You know, we do the little things. They were missing the bigger things, love, mercy, faith, the things that were more important. They didn't realize their need for repentance. They didn't like someone telling them that they needed to change. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus communicated this to them previously this way. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 18, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating or drinking and they say, look, a glutton and a wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by their children. See what's happening? The religious leaders, they're rejecting the messenger because they don't like the message. And because they're rejecting the message, they're rejecting the God that inspired this message. Sometimes it's hard when people tell you you need to change. But do you reject 
God's messenger or do you accept it? And I'm not just I'm not just talking about me speaking from the pulpit. God will speak through so many different people. He speaks through donkeys. He'll speak through sinners. Do you reject the message because of the messenger? The Lord will use anything if we allow him to. He wants to grow us. He wants to mold us. He wants to change us. But if we're not receptive to the message, it's not going to happen. And because they're not receptive to this message, because they rejected the messenger, they're ultimately rejecting their salvation. They're not going to enter the kingdom of God like Jesus wants them to. See, the Pharisees, religious leaders, chief priests, all of them, all of the above, they rejected the messenger, ultimately rejecting the message. So because they couldn't recognize the authority of John, they don't recognize the authority of Jesus. And that's what he's trying. If you don't recognize the authority of of John, and he's going to get to another parable later about other messengers that God sent, you're not going to recognize the authority of Jesus Christ. Why? Because all the messengers that God sent previously was to affirm the authority of Jesus Christ. And because you won't accept that authority, it's going to cost you. It's going to ultimately cost you their soul. See, their pride and desire for authority was greater than their desire to know the truth. The Lord was giving them the truth because he wanted what? For them to be set free from themselves. But they didn't want it. Why? Because they were power hungry. They wanted power more than the truth and it cost them dearly. Simple submission could have solved all of this. Wow, man. Okay, I recognize they would marvel when Jesus would speak. They know the power. I'm not going to be blind to this. I'm going to put on the put off the pride that blinds and I'm going to see in humility this truth and I'm going to choose to submit. Now, again, this doesn't just apply to them. This applies to us. I'll ask again, do you have problems with authority? Do you struggle when when people tell you to do this or that? Maybe you. We're like me when I was younger and I'd have jobs and bounce around from jobs because I didn't like the authority that was placed in my life. I didn't agree with him. Okay, they're in the wrong. No, I'm in the wrong because I'm not submitting. When we submit to the authority that God places, whether it be him or a person, man or female. There's blessing in that. There's benefit in that. And the alternative is this. By not accepting the authority and not submitting to it, It's always going to cost us something. We are always going to lose something. For them, it was their souls. For us, it could be a lesson, but it could be something even more significant. The Lord places authority in our life for our benefit, but we got to see it that way. We have a rebellious nature. We have that sinful nature. We don't always like to say, yes, sir, no problem. But the more we get in the habit of that with man, the more we'll get in the habit of that with God. And the less we'll lose. In fact, the more we'll gain. Again, so many blessings attached attached to submission to authority. And that's what the Lord wants for us. He doesn't want us to lose. He wants us to win. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the text. And uh, God, how, how you use authority. And how you're so 
uh, compassionate with us when we question and we rebel and, and we don't agree uh, just as you were with the religious leaders. And you're so, um, you're so determined to, to give us the truth. But again, as we see, you don't force it down our throats. Lord, I pray that we would be seekers of truth, that we would be led by your truth and, and not our understanding that we would uh, be submissive, not just to you, but to the, to the authorities that you place in our lives, whether it be government or a job or whatever it may be. And in that, Lord, we would, we would see what you're trying to teach us. We would see how you're trying to grow us. God, we would see the, the, the benefit of that because we know you only ask us to do things for our benefit. In your name, amen.